0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. A science story, huh?
1: Is NYU scientists scientist? Uh, it felt, felt right. So and I just happy. thought, well. I it, wow. out. I it, it was
0: that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Story Clutter, where true personal stories about science help us to discover how weird and wonderful it is to exist in this world and be a human. I'm your host, Misha Gajewski, and this week our stories are all about the kindness of strangers. We're restoring faith in humanity this episode. Strap in. Our first story is from Keith Melnick. Keith is a freelance photographer whose past work has been highlighted by National Geographic books, The Atlantic, and his brother's refrigerator. His story was recorded at Smitty's Bar in Washington, D.C. in April this year. Keith's story is about being proven wrong when you assume the worst. Don't you just love it when that happens? Here's Keith.
0: Five years ago, uh, I'm bicycling home from a happy hour down on H Street back here to Petworth, about five miles. It's 8.30 at night, beautiful day. And I could not be in a more irritable, pissy mood. And I'm in this mood for one very specific reason, and it's because I'm tired. I'm super jet lagged. But that is not a satisfying reason to be in a shitty mood. So I use a little trick I learned from my mom at a young age, and that is if you ever find yourself unjustifiably grumpy, just start blaming everybody in your path. So this is what I've been doing for like two weeks. I'm blaming President Trump. I'm blaming Tucker Carlson. I'm blaming Kids Today. I'm blaming the collapse of democracy. Anything I can think of, basically. And on this particular evening, I'm pissed off at the bartender who had a very non-egalitarian way of deciding who got served when. And I'm pissed off at some guy who laughs too loud as if he wants everyone to know what a great time he's having. So this is my state of mind as I'm bicycling home, coming up one of these long, interminable, but not very steep DC hills. And I come to the other side, and I just I gun it. I start bicycling as fast as I can down that hill. And I get a little kick of adrenaline. I start to feel good. I feel giddy in a way I haven't for a little while. So I try to embrace that moment, you know? and Enjoy the warm sun and the wind blowing through my scalp. (laughs) And it's really nice. And then I blink my eyes. And in that time, when I open them, I'm no longer riding my bicycle. I'm on my back in a bed in the hallway of what is clearly an emergency room. And I look at the wall, there's about an hour of my life that's just missing. And I have only the vaguest ghost of a recollection of a car that came out of nowhere and hit me. I have no idea how bad my injuries are, I can feel that my head is locked in place, so I try to wiggle my toes and wiggle my fingers and everything wiggles just fine. So I take a, a deep sigh of relief, and when I do, it, it, it feels like a, a fistful of steak knives are going into my chest, and it feels like my my left or my right leg has been smacked with a crowbar. I'm feeling around for my cell phone so I can get to see what my face looks like. I find it. Uh, I put on the selfie camera, and it's it's not as bad as I might have expected. There's a couple of big yellow blocks wrapped around my head, and there's some blood on my nose and a couple of oxygen tubes, but uh, it, it's not so bad. So I. I take a selfie, and then I look at the selfie. I don't like the selfie, so I take a few more. Like, even in an emergency room, the vanity of, of like, selfie etiquette prevails. Uh, and this is when I hear a voice say, oh, good, you're awake. And, and a police officer steps into view and says, this is for you, you gotta be more careful out there and he hands me a piece of paper, and, and I'm not thinking fast enough to be able to ask him for the details of like what happened and, and the car and anything I can get. And I'm just kinda, I'm a little bit pissed that I'm getting ticketed for getting hit by a car. But um, I, I can't really even read the, pay, the, the, the ticket, so I just put it in my pocket as I'm paying more attention to a guy in a lab coat who, who's coming straight at me with like that Terminator commitment, the way he's looking at me. And he gets to my bed and he says, you wanna get a CAT scan? as if like he and his buddies are going out for CAT scans and they wonder if I want in. Um, I'm not really in a position to make the choice on this, so I, I defer to him. Uh, and uh, so, so he wheels me into the next room for a CAT scan, uh, where the technician, uh, I think, explains to me how a CAT scan works. But uh, he might as well have been speaking in some exotic foreign language at auctioneer speed, because I, I can't get any of it. Um, all I get is the final question, which is, uh, do you have any questions? And my only question is, do you know what happened to me? And he says, you're in a bike accident. Um, that's, that's all I know. I'm like, yeah, that, that much I'm aware of. Um, so they do the CAT scan. And then they wheel me back into my spot in the hallway. And I, I look at my phone again. And I've got a pile of missed phone calls and messages, uh, which is when I remember, oh shit, I, I sent one of those photos to my good friend Josh with no caption or explanation, <laughs> which is not cool to do to your friends. Um, so uh, I, I call him up. He's like, what happened? I said I was in a bike accident. Um, he says, I'm on my way, and he hangs up. Um, I'm assuming I also told him where I was because uh, he got there about 20 minutes later. And, and he's the first person who I feel like is really, you know, he's really compassionate. He's there for me when he gets there, and it feels good. He walks in, and he sees uh, something on my ear, and he says, is that silver glitter on your ear? And then he's like, did you get hit by a car at a strip club? Um, but then uh, it, it's our first clue. It's like, okay, it was a car. It's a silver car. And I'm trying to remember this, but it's, it's like I've got 10 pieces of a 10,000-piece puzzle, and I'm rearranging them, hoping to make some sense of this. But, but somehow, you know, I, I can't. I can't get very far. Um, and then I overhear two nurses talking, and one of them says, so how drunk do you think that guy is? And, and you know, he gestures over to me, and the other says, like, I, I assume, like, really drunk. And so the guy walks over to me. And he says, we need to give you a breathalyzer test. But he says it in a tone as if it's just to settle a bet. Um, So I blow into it, and he looks at the results, and he's visibly confused. He says, you're not drunk at all. I mean, you're not sober either, but you're sober enough to drive a Metro bus. And I think that shouldn't be a phrase. Uh, (laughs) and And then he goes off, and I'm just so frustrated I mean, I appreciate everyone's doing their job, but this just feels like this perfect metaphor for like, our society today or something, that like, if you let your guard down for a second, you're gonna literally get run over. A lot of people aren't gonna notice or care, and you just kind of go on with it. Like, I was lying there for probably half hour, 45 minutes. How many people went by without calling 911? Not maliciously, but you, know, you know, maybe they are looking at their phones, or maybe they assume someone else had called, and we're all just caught up our own world, and it kind of pisses me off, and I really don't feel like interacting with humans ever again. And we're sitting there until like 2 o'clock in the morning when the doctor finally walks out and she says, uh, sorry, it took so long, but we've got all your results back uh, and it's all good news. You've got a mild concussion, you've got a cracked rib, but that's pretty much it. You got really lucky. Um, and, and I appreciate that that's all the damage, but I don't, I don't want to be told I've been lucky for getting hit by a car. Uh, and she says, do you have any questions before we let you go. And I I just said, yeah, does anyone have any information about the car that hit me? And she says, the car that hit you? That's not our understanding of what happened. Apparently, you fell asleep while riding your bicycle and hit a parked car. (laughs) And as soon as she says that, I think, that's right. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, oops. And suddenly, this little tiny memory that had been dodging me all night long suddenly jumps out of uh, me closing my eyes tr- for a second, trying to be mindful of this moment, and then a tiny voice in the back of my head saying, dude, do not fall asleep, wake up, wake up, wake up. But the doctor goes on to explain a little bit more. She says, as soon as your body tore off someone's side mirror with presumably your ribcage, your head bounced off the hood. Uh, luckily, you're wearing your helmet. And immediately, a car going the other way pulled over and called 911. Two people on a passing bus called 911. Two pedestrians ran up. One called 911. The other stood in the road and blocked off the area and protected you until the EMTs got there. At this point, even my Grinch heart has grown three sizes. and, and I think about all these people who I, I've been blaming anonymously, uh, who pretty much saved my life. And, and I make a commitment to try and be more compassionate uh, in stressful, uncertain moments. Uh, and yet there's still one person I haven't yet let off the hook, and that's the police officer. So I, I go and I reach into my pocket to look at that piece of paper. And sure enough, it's a ticket for $25 measly dollars for not paying appropriate attention to my surroundings. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
1: that was Keith to learn more about him or see some gnarly pics from the accident visit our website storyclatter.org being a storyteller on our stage is just one way to make story happen but we know that can be intimidating and might not speak to you so maybe becoming a story donor is more your speed Storyclatter donors play an increasingly important role in our ability to bring you this podcast we're in this together Storyclatter is one big experiment that's designed to connect us around our love of discovery curiosity and the natural world if you believe in the power these stories have and this mission please consider donating to the storyclutter at storyclutter.org donate the most popular level is ten dollars a month and you can make your tax deductible donation at storyclutter.org donate But really, any level makes a difference, and we're so grateful to everyone who supports Story Collider. Our next story is from Fabiola Plaza. Fabiola is a fourth-year medical student at the Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra slash Northwell. Native to Venezuela, she grew up as one of seven children in South Florida. When she's not busy studying, you can find Fabiola playing viola in the New York Repertory Orchestra, being very competitive at Bananagrams, and any other board game, or completing another 1,000-plus-piece puzzle. Her story was recorded at Crane Theatre in March this year. Fabiola's story is a great reminder that even the smallest act of kindness can make a huge difference in someone's life. Here's Fabiola.
2: So... It's 7.30 in the morning, and I'm booking it to the astoria ditmars station. It's uh, December of 2022. I'm in my neurology rotation, and it's the day of my last case presentation. And me being the perfectionist that I am, I stayed up a little bit too late uh, working on it the night before, which led me to oversleep, which led me to where I was right now, running after the subway station. So I run up those stairs, I hear the little doo doo of the subway doors as they're closing, and I make it just in time for them to shut in my face. I I know, the worst. (laughs) So I walk out of breath to the middle of the subway station, and as any other typical medical student would do, I just pull out my phone to start preparing. So for those of you who don't know, the third year of medical school can be pretty tough. It's a lot of studying and a lot of information being thrown at you constantly. So a lot of the times I find myself with this mindset of medical school is just simply a stepping stone before I get to do what I actually want to do, which is being a doctor and helping others. So anyways, I'm standing in this middle of the subway station and a phone in my hand and out of the corner of my eye, I see this short Hispanic woman, which is funny to say because I, too, am a short Hispanic woman, (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, dressed in a cardigan that is far too thin for this December. And she walks up to me, and in a thick Spanish accent, she asks me, Hi, do you speak Spanish? To which I say, Si, que necesita. Yes, what do you need? Quiero ir a East Harlem. Como puedo llegar? I want to go to East Harlem. How can I get there? You can sit with me because I'm going in the same direction. I always give directions to anyone who asks them of me in the subway. I remember being 18 when I first moved to New York City. I was moving in as a first year at Columbia University, coming from Florida. I'm sorry, I'm a Florida woman. Uh, (laughs) We're not as bad as they all think. Um, (laughs) And I was so overwhelmed by the subway system. So I can't imagine how much this woman is feeling so overwhelmed, even with the added language barrier. So I never know whether or not I should start talking to the person I'm giving directions to or if we should just stand there next to each other quietly on the subway. But she quickly breaks the silence and she introduces herself. Hola, me llamo Maria, Uh, por cuanto tiempo estas aquí? Hi, my name is Maria, and for how long have you been here? I tell her how I moved here from Venezuela when I was eight years old. I moved um, with my whole family, I'm one of seven, and I remember my home country very vividly. I know exactly what my backyard looked like and I know how gorgeous the beaches are in Venezuela. And I remember being on that plane and not knowing whether or not this was forever, but knowing I was saying goodbye for a while. And in my first two weeks of being in this country, Hurricane Wilma hit. We had no furniture, no electricity, and I looked at my parents and I said, is this really the American dream y'all talking about? Or, I could not believe it. So I then asked her, how long have you been here? And she replies that she's been here for three months now. I asked her the most loaded question you can ask for any immigrant, which is, why did you come here? And she replies for her own American dream. She has two kids back at home who are adult children. One of them, tiene sujosos, meaning I have her eyes. And she's working to send them money back home. She currently works as a nanny, making muy poquito, working for three children who are all under uh, 10. And this is actually her first day off in the three months that she's been here. So she responds and she asks me, "How? Um, what do you do for work?" And I tell her that I'm a medical student. And in that moment, it occurs to me to ask her, "Where do you get your medical care?" No sé, no tengo seguro. I don't know. I don't have insurance. She tells me. And me, being the curious medical student I am, I ask her, "Do you have any long-standing medical issues?" To which she tells me that years ago she had a large goiter in her neck. And so she had her thyroid taken out. And she only came here with three months' worth of her thyroid medication, and she's been spacing them out to make them last. Y ahora no puedes sentir los puntos de mis dedos. Now I can't feel the tips of my fingers. In that moment, it dawns on me how all of the problems in her life immigrating, getting this job, working every day, have caused her to cast her health issues to the side. Immediately, I recognize that if I don't get her an appointment right now as I'm sitting next to her, I don't know if she'll get herself that appointment. So I remember I'm a part of the Latino Medical Student Association, a large national organization of Latinos all over the country, and I send a quick message in this group chat saying, is anyone here from Mount Sinai because they have a free clinic close to East Harlem. Within a minute, I get a reply with someone's number, and as we're waiting for the 6, Maria and I are huddled by my phone as it's on speaker with the loud subways blaring past us, <laughs> trying to get this appointment in. And within minutes, she has an appointment. I felt so accomplished that I was finally able to get her this medical, the medical care that she actually deserves. So... We get back onto the six and she asks, she tells me I'm her guardian angel. She thanks me so much. And she asks me for my number. And usually I don't give my number to strangers on the subway. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But at this moment I was like, okay, you are my tia now, you're my auntie now. Of course we can exchange numbers. So then in the middle of my presentation, later on that day, I get a text from her in the typical Hispanic kind of mother grammar saying, Hola, Fabiola, que que hermosa eres. Cuídate, mi niña, que Dios te siempre y pronto sea mi médica. Hello, Fabiola, how beautiful you are. She said that, that's not me saying that. (laughs) (laughs) May God protect you always and soon you will be my doctor. So, when I read her text message, I thought back to when I moved to this country. And it's hard enough being the new kid, but it's even harder when you're an immigrant and you have an accent. I felt ashamed of my heritage when I was growing up because it constantly reminded me that I was the other. Never would I have thought that I would be standing here in front of you guys telling this story about how proud I am of my heritage. Because without it, I wouldn't have been connected to this large organization of Latinos. I wouldn't have been able to speak to this random stranger on the subway in her native language, and I never would have met my future patient, Maria. Thank you.
1: That was Fabiola. If you'd like to learn more about her, you can visit our website, storyclider.org. Our website is just one way to connect with Story Collider, but there are so many other ways, and we hope you'll use all of them. You can always follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Head to storyclutter.org to become a financial supporter, or if you want to come to a recording session of one of our shows, or want to start your own Story Collider show in your community, you can learn all about that on our website, too. The Story Collider is very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Misha Gajewski, along with Nikisha Roberts-Washington, Jen Chen, and Aaron Barker, Executive Director and Co-Founder of The Story Collider. The stories featured in today's episode were produced by Shane Hanlon, Mariam Zaring-Halam, Tracy Segarra, and Tracy Rowland. Special thanks goes out to The Story Collider's board and staff, including Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Leslie Burnson, and Lindsay Cooper. Our theme music is by Ghost, and next week I'll be back with stories about anxious minds and troublesome worries. Because who hasn't experienced anxiety these days? If you haven't, I'm jealous. Anyway, until next time, thanks so much for listening.